Hi, this is Michael Waits. Welcome to Insurance for the New Possible, a Chubb conversation. I am joined by Edward Lur, Executive Vice President and Head of Southeast Asia at Chubb, and Iwan Jumono, Head of Insurance at Grab. Thank you both for doing this. How are you doing this morning? Great. Thank you for having us here, Michael. How are you? Hi, Michael. Hi, Yuan. Welcome to the Chop Asia Pacific office. Oh, it's nice. To see you. It's nice. To it's be a very here. beautiful office, I have to say. It's got great views and it's got a great open vista. I have not been in like a corporate style office in years. I'm envious. <laughs> no, but it's really beautiful, actually. And it's been recently renovated, yeah? That's right. We reopened in, um, in January this year. And I think the, the, the barista service was clearly the highlight. I yeah. love it. I, I got to say so. As an Australian, I was like, oh, this is coffee is actually pretty it good. It is really good, right? Yeah. It's not just like lame coffee that you get somewhere. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Current run rate, I think we do about 500 cups a day. Do you really? We do. Wow. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So when I was at Goldman Sachs, we actually put, a, we were on the 48th floor of the Roppongi Hills building. I presume mm. both of you have been to Tokyo. Yep. And they put a Starbucks on the 48th floor. Oh, that's a tragedy. <laughs> it was, <laughs> but there was a reason why they did it. But anyway, but we at least had coffee there. Mm. And you would, what they did was they took some of the old employees from the old building where we were and put them upstairs. So it felt comfortable. Anyway, before we jump into the main part of this discussion, and we'll start with you, Iwan, I want to get a little bit of your background for some context. Mm, sure. So I, am, I was born in Indonesia, okay. but I grew up in Australia. And I guess to cut up briefly, I'm a qualified actuary. I worked a little bit in Australia, oh. UK, and I moved to Singapore and Southeast Asia about eight years ago. So you've been in the insurance business your whole life? Uh, almost my whole life, yes. Ah, an actuary. My grandmother was an actuary. Oh, was she exciting? <laughs> my grandmother was very unexciting. <laughs> very Most un of us are not very exciting. Oh, stop it. <laughs> but she was amazing. Mm. And think about it, my grandmother was an actuary in the 70s. Oh, that's when the golden days. Right, like she was doing math on paper, yes. probably, because there were no computers. Yeah. Right, so that was my, my grandmother worked for Aetna. Wow. So that was my introduction to insurance. Wow. Anyway, we'll get back to Indonesia into Australia in a second. Yep. Edward, how about you? Well, thank you for asking, Micah. Um, I'm a Singaporean, uh, born in Singapore. Um, the insurance career has been rewarding. So for me, I've worked in five countries, both in Europe and in Asia. It's been very eclectic, the roles I've uh, done. I've done roles in reinsurance, country management in a few markets, uh, portfolio management, corporate insurance, distribution. So um, to name it, I'm a generalist, I think. What do you mean by portfolio management? Well, it means how do we uh, design product strategy, look at oh. product profitability, segmentation, you know, stuff that Ewan knows very well. <laughs> Not every product makes money, but we try to make a good <laughs> balance of that. And you two actually know each other relatively well too, no? Well, we did as of last week. As of last week. <laughs> exactly. Well, the insurance world is um, pretty small. I presume so. So I think we know some common people in the market. Okay. And yeah, we have yeah. some shared experiences with prior employers. So that was cool. Yeah, That's and we have a lot of gossip about common people. Uh, we have <laughs> gossips, of course. Let's try not to go there uh -huh. unless it's really necessary. Keep us safe then. Yeah, let's yeah. keep it safe. Look, we want to talk about the democratization of insurance. But I think before we do that, we kind of have to define what that means. Mm. Maybe, Edward, we'll start with you. How would you define this idea of democratization? Well, it's a, it's a, great, um, it's a great topic. It's a great question and something quite fundamental. Uh, for me, it's um, the ability of any individual consumer or um, a, a corporate uh, entity to be able to define 
his needs for protection of his assets, um, as well um, as all, all the risks that they deal with. Uh, one can choose how to deal with different risks, um, and I think through um, a process where we can make insurance more accessible, you know, customers would be able to create bespoke um, solutions for themselves and potentially be able to have a, a transparent access uh, to what their risk exposures really are. So these are very big fundamental, um, you know, high, high level discussion topics. But, you know, that's my ideal as a, as a person, as an insurance leader, and I hope we strive towards this direction. Yeah. Nice. Iwan? Uh, I think mine is uh mine is a little bit more of a basic definition. Go ahead. And it's probably more shaped about my around my own experiences. Makes sense though. And right? I, I think probably for me, when I look at that topic, I interpret it really as access for insurance for people who don't have access. Because at the moment, actually I really strongly feel that a lot of the insurance industry is very much focused on the middle class and the mass affluent and the high net worth. And there's really not a lot of access for people who are really underserved. And that's really what I would see as democratization. So this is what we call financial inclusion. Yes. And both of you talk about access. And I think access actually starts with literacy and yes. financial literacy. So because you kind of brought it up, mm. can you talk about why financial literacy matters into then access of, to information and then how you expect that to happen? Sure. So I think I probably prefer to really start that by a story. Go ahead. So yeah, it's a good idea. I think it's more like financial literacy, I think, of course, can be very easily defined, but it's from our own anecdotal experience from actually interviewing our own drivers and customers, for example. Right. Actually, financial literacy means actually understanding what insurance is and how important it is to their lives and their families' lives. And that, to me, is the heart of financial literacy. We can talk about risk exposures. We can talk about portfolio management and asset allocation management. Right. But fundamentally, for most people, at least the people that I deal with, right. for them, it's all about protection and understanding the necessity of insurance. But so you mentioned this before, right? You said you're a generalist, which is just a way of saying I've done a whole bunch of things. You couldn't do your job, actually, unless you'd done all the other things in between. I mean, I know this from my own career. Mm -hmm. The only way to be an effective manager is really to understand all the pieces that go into the jobs and the, and the positions that you're managing. That's right. But you talked about risk as well. And in the same way that your career started here, mm -hmm. this is what you're saying, right? You have to start here with the literacy and the understanding of you finally made enough money, right? You've struggled and made enough money to get this asset, whatever that asset is. And we can talk about tangible versus intangible too. But you have this asset, but now you want to protect it. Mm -hmm. So you're not even thinking about the risk aspect of this. You're thinking about protection. So what is your view from your perspective through all your career as well on that difference between when you just think about protection versus what that risk analysis is, if that makes sense, yeah? Yes, I, I think, Michael, you touched on a, a great point. And first, I'll say uh, what you want to say about um, making insurance um, uh, literacy, sorry, financial literacy as, as, a, as a key objective. I, I agree on that as a fundamental baseline. Uh, but the reality is the risk paradigm is changing. Well, as you say, as we, as we grow older, we have different needs and we're regularly assessing our needs. As we start a family, we have different needs and it's a dynamic issue. Um, so, you know, being a risk professional, I see that every day, whether it's for the everyday consumers, and for small and big businesses. And what was 
an exposure or a risk per se is today treated in a different way. And there could be a new risk, for example, that we will be facing for a new businessman. You know, I don't want to open a Pandora box. Please for do. Example, cyber, cyber risks. Oh, we can spend all day <laughs> talking about <laughs> cyber talk risks. about that the whole day. But, um, even, but really simplistically, right, you can't even get to cyber risk until you talk about connectivity risk. Exactly. Right, so one of the ways that democratization takes place, I think, in my mind, and you know this from your drivers, yep. right? So let's think about this. If your drivers are not connected, they're not drivers. That's right. They're just guys and gals with bikes that don't do anything because nobody can order anything up. They can't deliver food. They can't pick people up. Yep. Whether it's a bike or a car, it doesn't matter. So you're starting again at the beginning of mm -hmm. this connectivity risk. And this is an intangible asset. I can't feel it, I can't touch it, but I know if it goes away, I need to have that protected as well. Do you have those conversations with the drivers too? Uh, we do. So I think in terms of connectivity, for us, it's very, very basic. Really, it's the mobile phone. Yeah, yeah, completely. But the actually, whole thing's mobile, right? Exactly. But for, for actually for our driver partners and our gig workers, a mobile phone is just, as you say, it's not just a phone. No, no, it's no. It's actually one of the tools they use to earn their living on right. top of their bike, on right. top of their motorbike or car. So it is an important asset to be protected. Yeah. And that is something that we also do consider. But actually for us and the philosophy that drivers come by, actually their most important asset is themselves. Yeah, I mean, of course, right? So if, they're, if they have a health problem. That's right. If they have an accident. That's right. Or I forget what the car companies call it. They don't call it accidents anymore. I think they call it collision. Collision incidents, I suppose. So I think yeah. I think, I think Chubb would probably know better than me. Well, I was on the phone with a guy who runs this whole company called Nexar. And Nexar is a business that basically puts cameras in the front and the back and all over the car. Oh, yes. And they're trying to do big data analysis on how to help people become better drivers, but also provide information to insurance companies. That's right. So that the risk is better understood. Mm. And I said to him the word accident. He said, we don't use the word accident. We use the word collision because, by definition, it's not an accident. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a philosophy. Where it's like, so it's a philosophy where accidents can be prevented. So I, I, kind, so. I kind of understand where they're coming <clears throat> yeah, from. Yeah, it's yeah. a very, very nice sentiment. It's a little nuanced, maybe. Yes. For lack of a better term. It is. You talked about the risks being dynamic. Mm -hmm. But I think they're dynamic on a matrix. Of course. Right? So it's not just, yeah, and I think that that's obvious, right? But that matrix means that, and let's just talk about a couple of those pieces. The first is as your life changes, right? So as a 22-year-old, I'm pointing at myself, that's a fantasy. But as a 22-year-old, your life is different than as a 27-year-old with children. And as a 45-year-old with older children who are maybe entering university or thinking about getting their own jobs, depending on like where you live and, and how your life is going. But also, it's on your own earnings too. So you have this family status with your GDP per capita status as well. How does that impact... Like, like, how does it matter if people aren't insured? Let's look at it from reverse, right? And where, what role does GDP per capita play in that democratization? Well, it's a, it's a big topic, um, but I mean, sticking to the core of uh, the democratization of insurance, I, I would say that um, understanding how the per capita span of insurance to GDP give a sense of um, um, assess of insurance in the market and they're all very idiosyncratic market every market uh, distribution regulations are very different uh, for example in indonesia um, as anyone might might know being in the grad business as well insurance is largely not compulsory so it's the assess of insurance is really through embedded insurance even motor insurance even motor is not, it's compulsory. not compulsory in indonesia it theoretically is okay 
Go ahead. Um, so I would say that's one aspect okay. of using GDP uh, measures of um, in insurance penetration. The other aspect, of course, um, is about the development of a society, right? right. The material gains, uh, the asset accumulation, and, and of course, the intensity of the uh, of the labor markets and economic development. Um, you know, we talk about the fact that you know, as as countries and its population move into the middle class and beyond, right? The needs will increase, the risk will increase, and not everybody know that. Despite being wealthy, that you got you know uninsured or you got exposures to mitigate, whether on a personal level or for the family or for the assets that you, you own. So. Mm. I'll say um, it's still a good barometer, but you know, let's not be too sticky about the the, the percentage um, because you know right. every, every country is going to be different. We I think all have so. social, yeah. different social economic background. So, can you talk a little bit again? Sorry, did you want to say something? Yeah, go actually, ahead. I think I just want to expand on that. I Please agree do. with Edward that GDP per capita is really it's a very good high level measure. Yep. but it really does lose a lot of nuance. Tell me why. Like for example, taking Indonesia that Edward mentioned. Actually, a good deal, actually a large, large majority of that GDP per capita has to do with investments and savings products. Go ahead. And so, what, that, what does that mean, though? So, for example, in Indonesia, in the life insurance space, the right. two biggest product categories are investment-linked plans okay. and endowment plans. And these are saving plans that are really, again, targeted to my previous comment right, towards to the, middle, the class middle class or the wealthy. Or the class. wealthy. Yep. So actually, when we look at the GDP per capita in a lot of countries, what it really doesn't show is the access of insurance at different strata of society. Right. And can I ask this too, though, because I think this is quite important. I live in Thailand. Yes. The GDP per capita in Bangkok hmm. resembles nothing like the GDP per capita, even in another big city like Konken. That's right. Right. And I have to presume, so Singapore is unique, right? Mm -hmm. Because yes. it's smaller, population around 6 million, right? But it's also kind of self-contained. Yep. So access in the, in the city-state itself is pretty easy. Yes. In Indonesia, there are 18,000 islands. That's right. Right? 17,000 rounded. But yeah, you know what I mean. But also, the GDP per capita in Jakarta is going to be much different than the GDP per capita, even in Yogyakarta or Jogjakarta, right. yeah? So what is the impact from a penetration standpoint? I want to start with you because you brought it up, but then for you, because your mm -hmm. remit is all of Southeast Asia, mm -hmm. yep. between the cities and the countryside, because this is really gets to the heart of the democratization, right? Yes. So fundamentally, from what little I have seen, I am not a genuine expert in Indonesia. I've that, only no, been no, there no. only a couple of times. So this is really from my own personal experience. Absolutely. I've seen. What the fundamental problem is that as you mentioned, Jakarta's GDP is several times that At of least. every other part, especially <clears throat> beyond the tier three and the rural countryside. Right. And so what actually happens is that for a lot of these insurance companies, and I'm not trying to blame insurance companies here, but for a lot of insurance companies, of course, they are trying to make a profit. And for a lot of the insurance agents, they're also trying to make a profit. Sure. And it only makes sense that really you would be trying to sell the products to the people who can afford it i.e., again, the middle class in the tier one and tier two cities. But also, to be fair, right? Yes. Uh, look, I brought it up, right? Yeah. So I don't disagree with you. But as you're saying this, I'm thinking, what's changed, though, to make that access possible? Yes. And you mentioned before the mobile phone. Yes. Even five years ago or six years ago, just having access, right? Prepaid versus postpaid, all these things matter in just the ability to get access to product. Yep. Even knowing those products exist because 
even if you had a mobile phone, mm. if you didn't have the financial literacy yep. and mm-hmm. you weren't financially included, even having the phone, you didn't know. Yes. Right? So it took a while for that to happen. Sorry, I feel like I interrupted. No, no, no. And actually, that's a great point. And that's actually a shift that we are seeing happening. So when I was a consultant in this part of the world, I used to work with a company that actually specialized in tier three and rural countryside insurance. Fascinating. Tell me. And actually, when I looked at operating processes, actually, it was very well done. And they actually relied almost entirely on paper and a wide network of agents in the rural countryside. And they could make it work. Right. For a while. Right. I won't describe what happened afterwards, but (laughs) so, and it actually worked out. They actually had a lot of penetration in the countryside up to, they had a single digit million, high single digit millions of policyholders. That's a lot. At the peak of their life. That's a lot. It was a lot. And actually they did a lot of good in that countryside. Right. And, but unfortunately, actually, when you look at that as a percentage of the total tier three and rural countryside, it's still quite small, especially when compared to the tier one and tier two cities. And I think there's a lot of reasons behind it. Like fundamentally, there's only about a few insurance companies operating in the tier three yeah. and rural countries. The majority of them choose to focus in the greater Jakarta area and the six tier one cities. And this is a common experience we see in Thailand and Vietnam and the Philippines. Philippines is actually another great case study for this. It really is. Yes. Sorry, do you want to comment on, because your experience to. is different. Please go ahead. Yeah, yeah I'd love to. Um, and I, I guess uh, the point, I think, Michael, you make about um, the... Uh, the mobile phone access is key. I think I make that reference uh, during a re- uh, when I when I wrote a recent LinkedIn article that uh, you know car, um, reducing the protection gap you know is really contingent on the smartphone access, which obviously allows more interaction between consumers and and providers uh, like ourselves and ecosystem players uh, like mm-hmm. Grab. Um, the the key for me uh, is this. When it, when I think about Southeast Asia in its, its broader sense, um, there's there's is is a broad expanse of mountains, borders. Sure, right. Cross border access is not easy, and of course, there's um, there's a lot of um, accessibility issue. Right. Right. Um, I think government um, successive governments in many parts of Southeast Asian um, societies have made infrastructure, uh, building infrastructure, airports. Uh, seaports, uh, expressways, cell towers, exactly. Right. Cell towers, cell towers, really yeah. important. Um, an, an important um, part of their business. Um, and, and sorry, a, a big part of the governance. And I've yeah. had, of course, firsthand, firsthand um, experiences um, seeing that. I've I've traveled widely, having lived in Indonesia from Aceh, Bandar Aceh. I've been to Bandar Aceh. I've been to West Papua. I've flown into Sorong Airport, and of course, I was always very interested what's going on there. Um, so, as, as as most insurance commercial enterprise, you know, uh, would w- do, right? Uh, they will focus on where the opportunities are. Yeah. Right. Uh, but the emergence of ecosystem platforms, Grab is a great example, as well as the devices, smart devices, as Michael, you so rightly put, is really the convergence of a very opportune time for us to really step up on this access game yeah. or this uh, challenge. And um, I, I believe uh, working together with other financial services ecosystem, we're stepping up, right? We're stepping up the plate to, to make that happen. It won't be overnight because we still got to address the issue <laughs> no of That's right. no changing way. societal mindset, right? Sure. What the millennial wants is, is different from what, you know, um, the generations before them one. So it's a broad topic, it's a social topic, but I think we're on this very exciting time so uh, in our lives. So many interesting things you've brought up there, and I'm just going to try to hit them one by one. You said this earlier, 
but maybe you can help talk about this idea mm. of embedded insurance and product relevance, right? Because as you move out of the tier one and tier two cities, the, yep. the things that need to be protected and even the understanding of protection is just different. Mm, I wouldn't necessarily actually it's different. Uh, I don't know. In other words, the housing stock is different. The automobile stocks are different. I guess at the core, they're similar products. Yes. But again, affordability, yes. accessibility, understandability in the context of those products is very different. So from an embedded standpoint, putting the products in a place and in a way that is relevant and available for yep. people in tier three and tier four cities is different than tier one and oh, tier Oh, very, two. very different. So how does that work for Grab? Because Grab, mm -hmm. from a platform, and this is what makes it really interesting, right? As it's developed over time, right, from a ride-hailing company, food, de food delivery company, into a super app, has changed the mechanism for delivery of other products. That's right. Right? So how does that work in the insurance industry in particular? Mm. And then how does Grab use all of its other delivery mechanisms to deliver insurance in a way that's embedded? Yeah. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Actually, it's a very good question and a very big question. It so is. I probably it have is. to address those in parts if you don't yeah, mind. Yeah, please, please, please. So I think that's building on Ebert's point first. I think Ebert spoke a lot about how mobile phone has increased insurance access and yeah. I see the possibilities of it. Yep. I see that the mobile phone is a great first step, yeah. but actually there is a few more steps that also need to be taken. Apart from financial literacy, which we've already spoken about and right. the mindset. Another one actually, it's a very, very operational problem, but actually it's a very serious problem. What is that? Premium and claims protection. Wait, premium and claims? A premiums collection and claims payment. Right, so that's so that was my next thing, but go ahead. Yes. T and tell me how that works. Yeah, so I think going back to the experience I mentioned before, when we worked with this insurance company, which I actually admire still to this day for what they're trying to do, premium collections were done by agents going house to house collecting cash. In cash. In cash. In cash. And then making a trip to the nearest regional center to deposit the premiums and also collect any claim payments that need to be made. Right. And this to me is a great barrier that needs to be overcome if we want to increase access to insurance to all peoples. Because actually these are fundamentally transaction costs mm. and transaction costs add up quite a lot, especially to these small ticket sizes. Right, so as a percentage of the transaction, right. right? If it's a million dollars and you have to pay 10 bucks. It's all right. But nobody cares yeah. on a percentage basis, but if it's a, $11 transaction, yeah. the cost is the same. Yep. And then right. this relates back to Grab in the sense that I'm very excited about the developments that we're doing in Grab, especially for our digital wallet, Grab Pay, or it's known as OVO in Indonesia, Ovo, and Mokka right. in Vietnam. Right, right, right. Because digital wallets have the potential to really bring digital payments and actually enable lower transaction costs for whole society involved, especially in the provision of insurance. And then we can take that one step further with our acquisition of digital banks. Because digital banks actually can provide even lower transaction costs and faster transactions for insurance companies. So for people that don't know, and I'll let you comment in a second, yeah. mm -hmm. what is it about the digital banking or the digitally native bank yep. that makes their costs so much lower? Is it just the physical plant and equipment or the people, or is it just the complete lack of friction on the transactional side? Yeah, I'm not a great expert in digital banks. That's okay. From what I understand, really, it's actually a combination of the above. Fair enough. Them. Yep. Uh, digital banks do not need to provision for a large number of branches. Right. And digital banks, of course, that comes with lower associated people costs manning those retail branches. And furthermore, these digital bankings, because they are new, they are built with entirely brand new 
purpose-built systems as well. So they're no right. longer inheriting all the legacy systems because I happen to know quite a few banks that are still using some of the legacy mainframes from the 1950s and 60s. I mean, they work great, but sometimes they just don't scale super well. But we used them at Morgan Stanley. We called it mainframe mail. Yes. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Did you want to comment on yeah, this as well? I, I was just reflecting about... Um, <laughs> I could tell you were smiling. You're like, I can't wait to say this. It was a very uh, important um, discussion about the operational challenges running insurance business collections and payments, and of course, mm. sales and distribution. I would say that you know, from, a, from an insurance perspective, uh, say Chubb, right, as a, as a major insurance group, you know, we're, we're present in six of the largest economies in Southeast Asia. Right. So we, we do understand all this, um, what I call existential challenge. And, and that's why I think when we design our products and services, we look at the accessibility using different verticals. Yep. Telcos being one. Right. We've actually distributed products through prepaid um, mm. customer segments as well as postpaid uh, very successfully. Um, Mobility and ride share being one, right. and you know we have some great partnerships here. The other one I should highlight is um, travel. Right, the boom in leisure travel with budget airlines has been a bonanza for ecosystem players like Chop. Uh, we we understand the travel lifestyle for for customers in Southeast Asia, and it's very exciting times. So I guess you know I'm trying to say we are nimble. We could be more nimble, and I think it is very exciting from my mm. point of view. Agreed. Go ahead. Were you going to comment on that as well? Yeah. So Please, I, think, I think we do a lot of well, a lot of our embedded insurance with Chubb. Okay. So I think a few of the examples that we do is actually, as I mentioned, we embed a lot of these ride-hailing insurance, personal accident insurance, onto our mobility. We also, of course, has package insurance and then travel insurance. But I think the one that excites me the most, to be perfectly honest, going to my previous theme, is actually a form of embedded insurance that we provide to our drivers. Go ahead. So I think... Our drivers in general, of course, are generalizing because actually a lot of them are what we consider gig workers or freelance workers. How many drivers now would you say Grab has? Is it six million more? No, I don't think it's, it's not in the millions, in the 500, 600,000, I believe. Okay. I don't actually quite know. Don't quote me on that no, one. No, it's okay. It's okay. But I actually it's, think it's more than that, to be I fair. I think it's more than that. I think it's, it's somewhere more between half a million and a million because yeah, it does so. fluctuate from time to time. For sure. But it's, 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 a, a it's, up there. it's up there it's and a it's a big number. addressable market. And actually often these drivers are underpenetrated when it comes to insurance. For sure. So part of our job actually as the ecosystem platform is to help educate them and to also help make available affordable insurance. But I do it in such a way so that it's contextual and embedded. So let me give a more practical example. Please. So there's actually a product that we do do with Chubb uh, in a couple of markets, and that is providing very basic personal accident insurance. It doesn't, it's not very sexy, but actually it is the most important thing to our gig workers because they're on the road eight to 10 hours a day, the right. ones who are working full time. Right. And for a lot of them, they are the sole breadwinners. So sorry, I want, I want to make this point really explicitly. Yes. I want to just jump in here. Because you talked before about the social impact. When I talked about being underinsured, you yes. mentioned this concept of the social impact of this. Yep. When in the tier two, tier three, but even in the main cities, right, in yes. Southeast Asia, when somebody goes out and buys a bike, normally the family buys the bike. Yes. Right? This gets back to this GDP per capita issue that we were talking about before. But because of that, that bike is maybe 
like you said, with the person who rides it, one of the most important assets in that family. Yep. So the personal accident insurance, along with the bike insurance, means that if that person cannot ride, simply cannot ride, yep. they cannot provide for their family. That's right. This is corrosive. Yes, it is. Right? It's not just toxic. It's corrosive mm -hmm. because it means that the entire family's ability simply to eat goes away. And that's why this is so important. And actually, it's even worse than that. Go ahead. A lot of the times, actually, those bikes and cars are not bought using cash. Yes. They're yeah, bought they're bought using, using credit. Loans. Very good point. Go ahead. So that's actually another area where Grab also tries to focus on. It's trying to provide more affordable, less predatory lending. But that is probably a, a topic my other colleagues can talk in greater. No, but it's good. To, but it's good to bring it up, though. <laughs> Look, one of the things we want to do, particularly when we talk about democratization of all financial products in Southeast Asia, is to inform yes. the rest of the world about just the, I don't want to say existential, mm -hmm. but just the non-triviality around the challenges. That's right. right. Because you can look at it and say, just get an agent out into the countryside. No. Simple. But you could say this, right? Yeah. Because if you're in Connecticut, mm. you just need an agent in Tennessee. And it feels like it's the same thing mm. here, but it's not. And I want to make that point to people because it's the only way to, again, inform them yep. of just the non-triviality about this. Sorry, I interrupted you. Where we have done very well, we've tried many, many experiments, and the formula that we have hit on to have really good penetration is actually to embed it into the driver app, into the application which they use to work every day. But how does that work? So essentially, it also comes down to many innovations that we've worked together with Chubb on. So one of the things that we've done very well is actually changing the structure of the product from a typical monthly program to a daily deduction program. And the reason behind this actually is very operational but very nuanced. And people wouldn't normally think about it. I personally didn't know about this. I didn't think about it this until is I great. Grab. This is great though. I think I know why, but I want to hear from you. Yeah, so for actually for our drivers and other gig workers in general, they actually find it very difficult to save and help amount of money every month at the premium due date for paying collections. But because this, but again, this gets back to this, this, I don't want to say cultural issue, but sort of regional issue of, I'm just trying to provide for my family. Mm. And on a day-to-day -day basis, the same human needs that every other family has, whether you have yep. a, a million dollars yep. or a thousand dollars. I want to give a little bit extra to my kid, mm. or I want to treat my wife to something, yep. right? Without thinking. But if it's at the end of the month, you're like, oh, I don't have enough for the premium. I'll do it next month. That's right. But if it's daily, if it's 50 cents, a dollar, or whatever it is on a yep. daily basis, it just goes away. There's still something left yep. to do those little things you wanted to do, but you've pre-saved. Mm. Sorry, it's a great idea. Yeah, and that's actually one of the things that we've done very well. And that's one of the things that actually has caused our penetration to go up quite high. I'm not allowed by corporate for corporate to tell you how much penetration is. But I can tell you it's far better than any normal insurance don't person care. would expect. <laughs> don't care. But again, well, I don't care really about the statistics. Yeah. I'll leave that to the statisticians. What I really care about is these big trends. You've mentioned a bunch of different times mm. working with Chubb. Yep. I want to talk at a slightly higher level about... Right, because Chubb is a company that's been around for how long? Well, over 200 years. A long um, time. And yes. Grab's been around for... Over, slightly over 10 years. 10. Let's just <laughs> say 10 because it's easier for people to understand. Right? But from both sides, you find this partnership useful. But yes. I want to talk about at scale why partnerships matter mm. in this space and how they help democratization. Well, great question. I, I think that's really the heart of um, the issue, right? Um, by having partnership with leading industry verticals, 
we're able to have similar success to customers. Uh, we can um, use big data uh, that help us craft better products and services and address the pain point of customers. Um, I, I would believe that um, partnership itself has evolved. Um, it's not new in insurance, right? Bank right, insurance right. been for around sure. for a long time. It's a time. completely new partnership. Correct. New distribution models. Exactly. New ways of having drivers save. Exactly. Like this is all new, right? Exactly. And I, I guess in the traditional sense, many outside of the insurance industry who, who deals with insurance sales might just say, that, oh, partnership is about pushing sales. But when I look at partnerships like what we have with Grab, right. it's really about co-creating an experience for drivers very elegantly put together by E1, right? It makes it seamless and it's stress-free, it's frictionless. You, and I think that's but what But you said want. something really important, right? And I don't want to let it pass. Mm -hmm. Co-creating an experience. Yes. You didn't even say co-creating products because it's so much bigger than that, right? Of course. But I want to make that point again explicit so that people can stop and think about this idea that it's more than just creating a product. That's right. And actually just to Is expand on that yes. a little bit. Go ahead. One of the things that actually we eventually, together with Chubb, arrived on the hitting formula, it's not just the product itself, but the experience actually for our drivers in signing up is fantastic. It literally takes about three clicks. Yeah. Three clicks, they're subscribed, done. The, the, the moment of truth though mm. is what? Claims. Exactly. Yes. yes. So because I can get all this protection. That's right. It can be very easy to sign up. It can be a great experience. There can be mm. like a little fanfare when I sign up and I, and I win and I can tell yep. my wife and I can tell my kids this is protected. I can tell mm. my grandparents, right? Because yep. they probably co-signed the loan mm. or lent me the money. But if something happens to my bike, or if I get sick, or if I have a collision, and the claim is hard, then what happens? Like, how do you make it easy? Sorry, completely agree with you. And actually, that is a core priority for us in the next two years. Right. And so far, the claims experience is something that we have been trying to work with Chubb to actually make into a more seamless experience. It's actually something that's a core project for the two of us to identify for this year and next year for our driver products. And at the moment, Ideally, the ideal long-term state is that we would like all the claims to be done, of course, very digitally happening through our app. Right. So from the app, like whoever's, the, whoever's underwriting it yes. into the insurer, into the app, into the wallet, yep. to the yes. person who That's owns right. that wallet. That's our ideal long-term right. end state. And we right. are working towards that for the next one or two years. I think so, yes. Um, I think, Michael, as you, as you rightly point out, uh, it's iterative. We're learning. We're yes. getting feedbacks from Grab from our, our, our customers, um, and that's important. Um, so again, it's a moment of truth. Um, and you know, having, having been involved in, in the insurance business for a while, and the claims experience is still, for me, very emotional, yep. very interesting. I, I get to read a lot of claims files. Mm. I, I see a lot of stories. I right. hear a lot of stories. Right. I go to you know, hear customers' uh, stories over customer centers. And it's those contextual moments that help us craft better experiences. Right. Mm. Um, and you know, it's a big journey that we yep. all have to work on. And yeah, that's mm. how we can also promote the democratization of insurance. Right. right? I mean, People need to see the benefit in a tangible yes. way. Yeah. Uh, actually, just maybe adding on a couple Please. of stories to that, if you don't mind. Please. So I think, as I mentioned before, I alluded to before, is that our claims experience is not fully digital yet. A okay. lot of it is still based on emails and phone calls. And I guess this is more of a, a statement that I want to make to all the other ecosystem and partnership players that do want to happen, is that actually looking at the right 
claims capabilities for partners is just as important, if not more important than the pricing itself. Actually, what we found is that pricing is only a third degree consideration right. for a lot of our driver partners. They care about convenience right. and claims. Right. And I think one of the examples that I want to say, cite exactly of why this is important is that these sort of things can be life or death. A few well, months- behind every claim, there's a problem. Right. No, yes. it's a human. Yeah but, there's a, yeah, but there's a problem that a human has had. That's right. Right? So they're already going through a problem. And they're like, I just want to have my claim without a problem because I'm already dealing with this and that and this. That's right. One of our driver partners a few months ago tr actually bought an insurance product, an insurance coverage from us. Okay. And actually when they went to try and claim at the hospital due to an accident, actually the car didn't work. That was, of course, the most dreaded thing in the world. Ah, because the I card was like broken or... No, actually it was not. It was a technical backend error. That's what I mean though, right? It's just whatever was happening, it That's didn't right. work, right? It's the biggest nightmare, of course, you could face when sure. you're a driver partner. This driver partner's arm was broken. Right. And, and he just... did not have any spare cash and the cashless card did not work. I understand. His option was to only go home and treat it himself at home. Right. And that's where actually the difference between a good partner and mm -hmm. a bad noble card partner will come in. That person right. was able to call us and actually we were able to inform our insurance partner, Chubb in this case, actually, I didn't mean that one. Um, <laughs> this was actually unintentional, by the way. Uh, in this case- he That worked really well, by the way. Uh, Go ahead. Chubb in this case was able to actually get onto it and the case and solve it within two days. And so that was a good, a relatively good claims experience because even though something went wrong in IT, which does happen all the time, right. even though the best companies, it was still able to be resolved within a day. Right. And so the driver partner was able to get his treatment. So that was a good experience. They, they're always outliers. Right, mm. um, and of yeah. course, it's about how we respond to that. Yeah, that's right. Because it matters. Because right. the outlier does matter. Sorry, go and ahead. And improve yes. the process. Um, I mean, the good. I think the the good aspect of understanding all these different customer pain point, yep. uh, uh, which you, know, you want elegantly put a few examples together, is that it's going to help us craft more um, robust infrastructure. Let me give you two examples that Please. you know the points to how we can make access. Um, to our services, for example, you know, more, uh, more, more frictionless, right? And um, the progress of using AI to handle claims is speeding up, right? We, okay. we, 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 like many other companies, we're looking at how do we automate claims settlement. Mm. I think uh, data is something that we are working on, uh, putting unstructured, structured data together. So I'll say uh, that's a great progress, which will help. Um, the second is, of course, omni-channel, right? Sometimes well, I, I ask myself the question, if I'm in trouble, do I want to send an email or do I want to call a helpline? So I think instinctively, if I'm really in trouble, I might just call yep. and pass on a message. So I think we're now, you know, with cloud computing, with connectivity that we speak about and with app access, uh, omni-channel is the way forward. That for, for us and for um, um, partners provide interactive live status of how we handle customer pinpoints. And I think that's a big commitment that we strive towards. And I, I hope, you know, we, we go on this journey together. Mm. So. I agree with that completely. As in, a lot of our claims are done automatically settled. Right. Uh, but actually, 
what I really want to agree and emphasize most strongly on actually is the human element is very, very important. Empathy. Exactly. Not only such the edge cases mm-hmm. always slip through the crack. No matter how great an insurance company you are, there's always going to be edge cases. Right. And actually, it's the same for us as a tech company. Even though we're a tech company, and you can see if you use our app, there's a lot of help desks, there's a lot of chats. Yeah. But actually, what we find is that the greatest customer experience still comes from the call center. Never going away. It's never going to go away. I've been I don't saying this think for it's a decade. It's never going away. Never. Humans, and, and again, we talked about this before we started recording hmm. humans make visceral connections mm-hmm. with other humans yes not with machines even if the machine sounds like a human mm. once you figure out that that voice on the other end is some kind of automation process mm-hmm. you just lose that connectivity yep i agree with you completely yeah. completely Go well ahead. i guess that's that's um that's how i think about when when we think about the whole you know say the insurance value chain and uh, sitting within the financial services value chain Yes, we want to make the distribution process seamless, frictionless, but still we need to give customer nudges to remind them, hey, if you need, um, if you have an issue, for example, which you need to make a claim, don't forget you have an insurance couple. So I'm a, I'm a fan of making sure that you know, we build that great customer touch point um, that, that points to the customer of needs in times or a change in life status, right? A lot of, right. A lot of us, yep. you know, yes, we're in the ecosystem play, we're in the financial services play. It's no more than just transaction. Yeah, we want to really to build a customer lifetime value. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm proud to say Chop is a company that can provide that customer lifetime value by building the right products as we all like to make progress in our, in our lives. So um, it's a big journey. It's very exciting. Indeed. Okay, I'd like to thank both of you. Edward Lur, Executive Vice President, Head of Southeast Asia at Chubb. And Iwan Jerona, the Head of Insurance at Grab. This was awesome. Awesome. Thank you both Great. Thank you for having us. Great talking to you, Michael. Great talking to you, Iwan. Indeed.